Well, again, it's good to see you. Uh, our church is 15 years old. We've met in five different locations, um, two churches, a theater, an event space, and a strip club. So, <laughs> We actually took the strip club story off the website uh, back in the day because people would visit us on Sunday when we were in the church building in Buckhead, and they would come in and they would say to me, it's amazing what you've done to this space, cons- <laughs> considering what it was, you know. So, uh, but anyway, uh, each, each move has been quite extraordinary for us, and I will say that this is the first time we've ever moved uh, into a space that we now own, so we're, no, we're rent-free at this point, and uh, thank you. Um, this is more expensive, but, you know, you know how it is. But we're excited that you're here, and uh, as I said earlier in the service, today is the uh, seventh Sunday of Easter, and every seventh Sunday of Easter, the way the church does the calendar and marks the time, it's always the text, the gospel reading is always from John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 is this really extraordinary prayer of Jesus. It's called the high priestly prayer. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Jesus prays in front of his disciples. It appears to be at the Last Supper the night before Jesus will uh, be arrested, put on trial, and uh, crucified and buried before his resurrection. And apparently he is with his disciples in this upper room, and he's doing a lot of teaching, and then he begins to pray. And my assumption is they're all just watching him pray. I don't know if you watch people pray. I always feel weird when we're praying at the restaurant and the waiter is waiting for us to finish praying while he's holding seven or eight hot taco plates. Uh, Amen, senor. Amen. Hot plate. Uh, It's all the Spanish I know. But um, but I don't know if you ever watched anybody pray, but to, to watch Jesus pray was something that the disciples were caught doing kind of often because Jesus apparently had this kind of prayer life that was extraordinary. So much that they would ask him on occasion, teach us to pray like that. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. We want to pray like that. We want to have that intimacy with God. So this prayer in John chapter 17 is long, it's beautiful, it's poetic, and it's also a little trippy. There's some Dylan-esque kind of wording in there, and it's interesting to listen to. And the prayer is really in a couple of different sections. And the section we have today, verses 20 through 26, is an interesting part of the prayer because Jesus stops praying for his immediate friends and disciples and apprentices and students and onlookers. And he prays for you and for me. I want to read, I want to read you this and then we'll walk through this just for a few minutes this morning because I'm exhausted. So we're going to get out of here as, as soon as we can. <laughs> Thanks for coming, but I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> um, starting in verse 20, let me read this to you. These are the words of Jesus as he prays. I do not ask for these only, his immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So we're all here today because this story of Jesus has somehow survived. It has moved its way through the last 2,000 years. And we're here because of that. And so Jesus is praying for all people that will hear that story and try their best to put their faith in it. He says, I don't pray just for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
that they may all be one. It gets circular here, so listen. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these you and these know that you have sent me. I have made, na- made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. It's a beautiful prayer. There's two requests that Jesus makes in this prayer on our behalf. The first request that he makes is that we would experience an intimacy with God on the same level as Jesus does. Now, I've been a follower of Christ for a long time. I've been to Bible college. I have a master's degree. I teach at a university, teach theology. Um, Jesus, that's really high bar Jesus is setting. Uh, It's a little unfair (laughs) that we would have the same level of intimacy with God that Jesus has with his heavenly father as well. But yet, that's what he prays for. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that the person we're here every Sunday to remember, to reflect on, and to think about how he might influence our world and our lives, he has prayed for us, for you and for me, that we would have this intimacy, that there would be a level of knowing in our relationship with God that's strong. Now, I like that because it's hard. It's hard for us to feel that level of intimacy with Jesus. In 1979, uh, three boys from a musical outfit known as the police, penned and wrote and produced one of the great songs in their library, a little tune called Message in a Bottle. Anybody? Good. One of the, as a side note, one of the first real songs I learned to play on guitar. Well, at least the opening riff, you know, just for the girls. Uh, um, but the song is quite simple. It's this little story about a castaway. The main character is a castaway. He's alone on an island, and he's, the, the weight of his, his loneliness is getting to him. And so he pens a letter. Somehow he has pen and paper. And he puts it in a bottle, and he throws it into the sea, and he waits. He waits. He's so desperate. In fact, in verse 1, it ends with uh, this line about despair. There's this great despair because of his loneliness. So he sends this message out in a bottle and he waits and he waits and he waits. And the second verse tells us that he waits more than a year and there's no return. And uh, he needs, he actually, actually asks to be saved from this despair of being lonely. Now, when I went to college, it was 1991, the fall of 91. And the first vivid memory I have is at nighttime in the guy's dorm, standing in line in the hall with a handful of quarters to call someone home, some person you know, at the payphone in the hallway. Just waiting. The, only fo- the phone in the dorm room only called other dorm rooms. So every night, the hall would just line up with a bunch of guys waiting to use the phone to talk to their girlfriends and their moms uh, or whatever. 
And I just think about how like quickly today you and I can get a hold of each other through text, email, I can call you, uh, can send you a DM, whatever the other mediums are, I I'm, I'm losing touch. But we can all find each other. And there's even this anxiety of the unanswered text and phone call. I mean, I'm the worst. Like, if, if I send you a text and I don't see the bubbles in a few minutes, like, I start to panic. Like, I don't know what's, like, why aren't you answering me? What have I done wrong, you know? Uh, this is a bit of a counseling session as well. Thank you for coming. Uh, but you probably, you know what I'm talking about, right? Just the immediacy with which we can get a hold of each other and respond to one another has made us so impatient. And the distance, the distance between us is getting smaller and smaller and shorter and shorter. And what I appreciate about Jesus' prayer is that he recognizes that the distance between us and the faith that we're trying to find in him just keeps growing year after year after year. I've had these thoughts as a pastor, like, will there ever be a moment in history where this is just not even known about? But yet here we are, thousands of years later, but with each passing day and year and decade and on and on and on, the distance between the present moment and the stories of Jesus that we're told about just keeps getting further. And Jesus prays about that, that we would have an intimacy with God even though we weren't there, and that somehow through the story, maintained and protected, that we would be able to connect with God, this intimacy with God. The distance is very extensive, and it can be difficult. But Jesus prays that we would have an intimacy. Now, our church is quite simple. Our mission is simply to be a people who grow in the ways of Jesus, that we're just working on that, that we're letting him work on us. And part of that is just being in relationship, in an intimate relationship uh, with God. And Jesus prays for us in that. So I want you to leave today knowing that this person that we come to remember to reflect uh, on knows that this isn't easy. And anyone who tells you, any church that tells you, oh, just have faith, it's simple, they're lying to you. Just like when they say we're really excited about our summer VBS program. That's a lie. That's a total <laughs> lie. It's not true, is it, Paul? It's not true. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, that joke will at least keep the requests for a VBS off for another year. <laughs> um, second and final thing. Jesus prays that somehow in that search for intimacy with God, that you and I would be one. That's the prayer. I don't know if you heard that in the prayer, but that we would be one as Jesus and God are one, as Jesus and his immediate disciples are one, that we would have a community about us, that we would be marked by a real sense of solidarity in that search, that this prayer Jesus prays for us to have intimacy with God and to be one with God is something that all of us not only share, but we understand about one another, that there's a oneness to that. Prayers always end with this word, you know it, it's the word amen, right? People say it differently, amen, amen, men, you know, word, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to use. But it's one of the only words that's the same in every language. And um, it's a very simple term, but it simply means I agree with you. 
And so when someone says amen to whatever someone has said, then it means I agree with you. I'm with you in that. I stand with you in what you just said or what you just did. Uh, it's why sometimes when um, we pray in here and I say amen and then you say amen and then I say amen again, I, we could do that all day, I'm sure, but it's like I'm ending, you're agreeing, I'm agreeing with you're agreeing. That's what we're doing. That's what amen means. It's a, this agreement. And the amen is what Jesus is praying about here. That there's a oneness. There's an amen among us. Um, I, prayer has been a big component in the last four weeks for us, really the last 18 months as we um, announced that we were going to try and find a space and get our own building and all of that. And we, of course, asked you to pray. We asked you more to give, but also to pray. Uh, pray about your giving and give while you pray. <laughs> and <laughs> But prayer has obviously just been a very, very important piece of this journey. And but prayer takes on a lot of forms, not just in the spoken word, but the number of people um, of you that showed up to work on work days and to help tear walls down and paint. It's an act of prayer. It's an agreement that we're here together. We're of one community making this thing happen. It's uh, all the activity, all the work, all the labor. It's an act of prayer. Even though we're praying, of course, with our words, we're praying also with what we do. We're saying to each other that we are standing together, and it means so much. You know how when you've been in a, like, quote, the worst spot in your life and someone just is present with you? It's not that they've said anything. It's just that they're there. And this is a kind of prayer, just presence of being with people. And so that's the way it's been over the last four weeks. It's just, yes, God, give us this. Make sure this electrical thing doesn't blow up and all of these things, but more importantly, that we've all just pitched in and made this thing happen is a wonderful act of prayer. Um, but also, the amen takes on all these other things too. And I just want to close with this. Uh, I wrote down a few uh, notes, I would say this morning, but um, <laughs> that's true, it was this morning. But when we first walked into this building to purchase it or to look at it, um, you probably saw from the slideshow, it looked very, very different. And when Lindsay and I and Max walked in and uh, just started looking around, it's really kind of funny because we we're like, oh, it's move-in ready. We could just move right in and sit in the pews. The pews were here, by the way, and uh, we did not buy these, but we also didn't get rid of them. Uh, we had a few people, like, if we're getting rid of the pews, we're getting rid of the pews, right? And I was like, no way. These are, like, $1,200 a piece. Like, <laughs> if we ever needed the money, we'll get rid of them, but... <laughs> So if you come in and there's like a few rows missing, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know. You want the front row or you want the air conditioner? Which one do you want? <laughs> but one of the, and this is intentional, this was very intentional, but one of the things that we wanted to do coming into this building, because this was a church uh, the church that started in 1919. This building went up in 1960. There's stories in these walls. A lot of churches that begin or buy a space, it's crystal clean and brand new. Now, we wanted to get it clean because it was filthy. <laughs> but we had no interest in erasing the past. Even though there was a church here, and it wasn't our church, and 
Um, we didn't know anybody here, and, but they're part of us. Uh, they're part of what we do. And so when Lindsay and I walked through, we consciously and intentionally said we must keep some of these stories. Uh, if you walked in on the, <laughs> the veranda, um, <laughs> if you walked in on the front porch, you probably noticed, you'll see it when you leave, but there's like an, a stone inlay of uh, the church. Somebody by the name of Bagley was the pastor here. That's just such a church name, isn't it? <laughs> pastor Bagley. But if you look under the committee, the board, whatever, the team they have running the show, there's like three other Bagleys in there. And so uh, we have stood there for weeks just laughing about what the possible stories are. Like, there's Mr. Bagley, and then he's got this team of elders, and there's three Bagleys on the elders, and I assume these other, at least one of these other elders is married to a Bagley. And uh, it's just interesting. The Bagleys pretty much ran the show, you could tell. But, um, and we went back and forth, pulled that thing out, just fill it in with bricks, and then people would say, no, I mean, there's something about it. So uh, we left it. It's a piece of history. We'll walk by it every Sunday and see that people have gone before us. The hymnals in your pews. Um, this is kind of serendipitous, but two Lent seasons ago, I borrowed those from my home church where I grew up. We, we wanted to use them for the season of Lent, and uh, they told us we could just keep them. And it doesn't mean much to you, but when I see those, they remind me of sitting in the balcony when I, attend, when I attended church and didn't skip, uh, but they remind me of sitting in the balcony of my home church. So, people, so many people have held those and turned those pages and sung those songs and struggled with the lyrics of those songs and found comfort from the lyrics of those songs. So even just the books that are in the pews and the pews that you sit on, the stories that have sat, we have no idea. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, you're sharing space. Um, this table uh, belongs to Grace Midtown, which used to own this building. They're, they are going to come get it. I asked them if I could use it for my desk, uh, and they said yes, but it's also a communion table. They don't know that. Um, but yeah, underneath the pews, by the way, there's a lot of gum as well. Uh, we have not taken that off. Don't, don't check. It's true. Uh, we just didn't have time, uh, but we'll get that off. But yeah. I think there's something precious about being surrounded by the histories and stories of other people's faith and other people's searches and other people's journeys. And if there's anything that has marked our church, at least since I've been here, and I know that it was this way before I came, uh, it has been simply this understanding among our people that we are all just a mess and we're trying to figure this out. And the story of Jesus is very, very compelling. And sometimes it's difficult to believe and sometimes it saves our lives. But most of the time we're somewhere in the middle and we come here every single week as people who share that struggle. And we can hold one another up in that. Amen? Amen. And we can be a community marked by that kind of oneness. And so in just a moment, we'll take communion, um, which we do every Sunday. And communion uh, communicates so many things about the church, but the most important thing it communicates is is that we all need this. We all need to be reminded of God's grace and mercy because this life is difficult 
and the distance between 2019 and the stories of the first, the first stories of the resurrection is a long way away. And we have to walk through these behaviors week after week after week to be reminded of God's love and grace and mercy. And we can be one in that. And as we go out into the world, it doesn't have to be church-related, just people, humanity. We must begin to look at humanity with the same sort of amen, I agree with you. I'm with you in this world and in this life and in this struggle. I pray that you find the divine. Amen.